Welcome to episode 421 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with filmmaker, editor-in-chief of Nerd News Today, and podcaster, among other things, Matthew Kaplowitz. We talk with Matt about his journey up to this point, from Queens to Utica to Brooklyn and back to Queens again, his documentary films, Girl Fight, his uncle Hank, art and a zen state of mind, stunt performers in New York City, comics, anime, what nerdum means, and trying to just figure out what it is that drives us. A grand conversation with Matthew Kaplowitz on this week's program. We have an EWSA titled Feverishly Uttered, and we share findings, actual findings, as gathered and published by Harper's Magazine for their May 2021 issue, And we have a poem called Enclave. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it then. Episode 421 of Troubadours and Tours. I was young, I lived in a world of dreams Of moods and myths and illusionary schemes Though now I'm much more grown up I fear that I must own up to the fact that I'm in doubt of What the modern cynics shout of They say it's spring This feeling light as a feather They say this thing This magic we share together Came with the weather too They say it's May That's made me daft as a daisy It's May, they say That gave the whole world this crazy, heavenly, hazy hue I'm a lark on the wing I'm the spark of a firefly's fling Yet to me, this must be Something more than a seasonal thing Could it be spring? Those bells that I can hear ringing It may be spring But when the robin stops singing You're what I'm clinging to Though they say it's spring It's you Thank you. 
sing That when a heart's sympathetic It's merely spring Then poets' plights are pathetic Though I'm poetic too They say it's spring For lovers there's where the lure is That evil thing For which September the cure is This they are sure is true Though I know that it's so That my fancy may turn in the spring With a right one in sight One can find a perpetual thing Did I need spring To bring the ring that you bought me Though it was spring That wondrous day that you caught me Darling, I thought we knew That it wasn't spring was you fiendishly uttered coconut crisps in the abyss an empty beer bottle and champagne glass next to the remote controls. As he scratches his ass, the king strolls by remnants of last night in the palace. Just ask Alice. Uncles come and uncles go. Some help you better understand the show. Aunties, too, of course, illuminate some of the finer approaches to living a life of substance. It oftentimes depends on the level of comeuppance one allows into the grand scenes and the in-betweens. I remember walking my dog, Isabella, on top of the highest peaks of my neighborhood streets, she was a Siberian Husky German Shepherd mix. The way in which she caroused, smelled the earth, perpetuated her smooth, strong gait, inspired me. I was just a youngin, still in my twenties, tethered to my childhood home, looking to roam the world. Not much guidance outside of the tried-and-true advice directing us to get a degree or a good trade that is guaranteed tailor-made toward finding a way to fit into the system. Those elders who were a little bit different, perhaps a wee bit odd, were framed at best as an interesting oddity better left to be amused with then used as a model to follow. At worst, disrespected, even so subtle, with casual yet clear looks and phrases fiendishly uttered. Who are you and why do you do what you do? He stuttered. 
while the rest did their best at keeping you close to their home. In line, another moving part in a vast system of drones, working for a smartphone, boutique mochas, and mixed berry scones. Matthew Keplowitz, is that you? Yep, this is me. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. EW Conundrum here. Hey, great to meet you. Great to hear from you. Same here, sir. Same here. Before we get started, let me share a little background information with our listeners. Sure. Matthew Keplowitz is an award-winning filmmaker based in New York City. He studied illustration at Pratt Institute. His most recent documentary is the highly acclaimed Nothing Changes, Art for Hank's Sake. It poses the question, how far would you go to pursue your passion? Here's a verbal trailer, so to speak. At 87 years old, Hank Ragona commutes to his Union Square studio six days a week and makes art. Despite poor health, cancer, lack of revenue, and obscurity as an artist, Hank is unrelenting in his quest to understand how life and art are the same. Matt 
is also the editor-in-chief of Nerd News Today, and he produces and hosts a popular podcast called Trek Untold, which focuses on various nuances and people associated with the Star Trek franchise. Troubadours and Rock on Tours is very happy to have on the program Matthew Kaplowitz. So, how are things going? They're going pretty well. Thank you for that introduction, that very illustrious introduction. I feel like that's our high note for this interview. I can't top anything <laughs> you just said right there. Oh, you're so modest. And you're busy, I can tell, based on our email exchange. It's good to be working, right? It's very nice to be working, especially in this pandemic world or close to post-pandemic world where things have been fairly dry in a lot of ways for me. But uh, that's also been a good thing, too. I mean, that's led me down some other creative avenues. And uh, I think it's been probably as horrible as it is to say. It's been kind of a good thing that the world went on pause for a little bit. And I know I got my stuff together. And a lot of people out there, too, had the kind of same experience during this really bizarre period in this world. I agree. Well said. And um, we're, we're talking to you. I guess you're in New York right now? Yep, I'm in Queens. In Queens, one of the most diverse places on the planet. Yeah, I feel very lucky that I grew up here in Queens because I'm surrounded by so many different people and uh, especially by so many different types of foods because that's been a big thing too. You know, whenever you leave the city and you go to other states, especially, uh, you know, when I was doing a lot of film festivals and things like that, you go to a lot of other parts of the country and, you know, people aren't exposed to the same things I'm exposed to. So it's real, very different kind of experience out there. And especially if, if I was like touring around with Nothing Changes, people are seeing the film who aren't used to seeing New York all the time. There's just so many different people there. And just, just talking about Union Square itself, there's so many different types of people, so many different things going on. It's uh, it's it's pretty fortunate that I was born here in Queens. Yeah, I, I was going there. I was going to ask you about your background. So you were, you were born and raised in Queens, and you've been there ever since. Have you traveled outside for a good stint of time? There was a very brief 24-hour period where I lived in New Jersey. Other than that, not really. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, I went to school upstate. Uh, first, in fact, so I did go to Pratt, but I went for first uh, a two-year program they did at a sister school because they have that program at Pratt where they have like separate schools around the country. And mm -hmm. one of those schools was Pratt, Munsell, and Proctor, which is in Utica, New York. So I spent two years up in the frozen tundra of Utica, and then I came back down to finish my program two years in Brooklyn. Excellent, excellent. And Brooklyn's a fun place too, right? Oh, yeah. It's real fun going from Utica to Brooklyn, especially because where I went to school in Utica – at that time, most of the kids who went to Munson and Proctor were from the surrounding areas. We had a few that were from other states, uh, but for the most part, I mean, these are folks who are from small towns. I had one person in my class whose graduating high school class was five people. And when I tell them that my graduating class was over a thousand, they're like, what? They'd never even seen that many people in one place before. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> a very different experience. And, you know, I look at all the things that you've been doing, and, and you have a wide range of interests, it seems. I mean, is there, do you want to you touch on how, how that is, why that is, as you can understand it? And do they have a, a commonality? You know, you're, you're into, uh, as you call it, nerd news, and you can, you can explain that a bit. Uh, and then um, Star Trek, as well as your, you have a, you know, a very impressive, I didn't list them all, but a very impressive um, set of projects, docu documentaries, basically, that you've, uh, you've directed, produced, written, and such. How does all this come together? Where's all this coming from? Who, you know, what makes you tick? Well, you keep throwing darts at a wall, eventually something sticks, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's tough to say. I, I guess, uh, to where I'm at now, you know, everything's kind of led up to different parts. Uh, uh everything's kind of left to, like, different points that brought me here, I guess. Um, I don't really think too much about it, but 
you know, really, if I go back, I know I've always wanted to pick up a video camera. I've always enjoyed doing that kind of thing, taking photos. But I also enjoyed illustration, and I also really loved comic books as a kid and cartoons. And uh, my original career path was hoping to be in storyboards and working in production art for cartoons and movies and that kind of thing. And that's still something I'd like to pursue, actually. But, uh, you know, paths change. I've gotten different jobs. I've learned different things over the years that created some different things I wanted to pursue. Um, eventually, I was able to get a video camera, which was pretty great. And I started my very first YouTube channel back in 2009, which uh, will, again, has nothing to do with anything we're talking about today, but it was about mixed martial arts. <laughs> and, uh, and that taught me a lot about interviewing, a lot about editing. And that eventually let me do my first documentary film, which was about an MMA fighter who's now actually a former UFC middleweight champion. And he's still in the UFC right now competing. Uh, just had a rough leg injury, actually, Chris Weidman. Um, and then from there, you know, I've always been into the nerdy stuff. And that means, you know, the comics, the anime, the movies, the toys. And I decided to do an offshoot channel with those interests. And um, I just got deeper and deeper in different things. And I kind of just like to have my hands in a lot of pots. That's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> what, what do you th what uh, what compels you to be, you know, drawn into stories? You know, you talked about uh, the the. Um film regarding the uh is it what is it mma i'm not even uh, mixed martial arts right i'm not a, i'm not a yeah. huge uh, watcher of that and then you know you the uh, story about hank art for hank's sake i think that's loosely based or maybe exactly based on on an uncle of yours uh, is it are, are what what is it that compels you is it um you know the struggles or or these these uh, against all odds uh, sort of uh, stories I definitely do like that element of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and Hank is my late uncle, um, or late great uncle, in fact. Um, so, yeah, there definitely is a kind of an element between them. And we didn't even mention some of the other stuff I've done, in fact, because, you know, the, the documentary I did about the UFC guy, that was like my first time dipping my toes into that kind of grander water of uh, long form filmmaking. Uh, and then after that, I did, uh, you know, I call that my first, but I feel like my first that actually had legs was uh, one I did in 20... Well, I started in 2013. I think it came out in 2015. That was called Girl Fight, a Muay Thai story, which was where I followed around. Um, there's this all-female kickboxing school on the Jersey Shore called Girl Fight, and I followed them around, a few of their fighters, for 18 months as they prepared for different fights. And uh, this is all in, like, post-Hurricane Sandy, New Jersey, and they live basically right by the boardwalks. It's in, they're basically in that area where it was hit the hardest. Um, so there was definitely a lot of that kind of element, underdog element there. I also had a documentary short that I won some awards for called On Point, which was about a uh, male ballet dancer and burlesque dancer. But he doesn't really fit the typical look for that. Uh, he's basically like, he looks like a linebacker, if you want. That's probably the best way to put it. He's a very large looking dude, big muscular guy. But he does burlesque and he does ballet dancing. And so I did a short about that. So I'm definitely drawn to telling stories and to telling interesting stories that people can also relate to, uh, while also putting a lens under something that they might not normally think much about. And your your film that uh, is, I, I think I dubbed it correctly in terms of chrono chronological order. It's your most recent uh, uh, documentary. Nothing changes. Art for Hank's sake. That that seems to be your. I mean, they've all received acclaim, but it seems this one is getting a little extra acclaim, more traction. Uh, it won, I believe, uh, best documentary feature at uh, was it the Queens World Film Festival? Yes, that's correct. Back in twenty twenty. What, tell us a bit more. I gave, a, as I called it, a verbal trailer. Tell us a bit more about your Uncle Hank. Well, where do I begin? I mean, the film basically kind of chronicles him towards the twilight years of his life as an artist. And, uh, you know, he was born in 1929 on literally the day before the Great Depression kicked in. <laughs> so that should tell you what kind of a life he's going to lead there. It's just, you know, such an interesting point to be born into. 
And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's been around for, or was around for, for quite some time doing his thing. He went into commercial illustration for a while, and ultimately he just discovered he didn't really like it. And he wanted to pursue his own art for what he wanted to do. He wanted to be fulfilled. He wanted to feel fulfilled in, in a different way that he wasn't getting from just these illustration jobs, making the money, because it wasn't really thing he cared about. He never really cared about the money. He just cared about making art and feeling good about making art and feeling good about what he did. So that's kind of where I come in is, you know, several years later or many, many years later, in fact, uh, you know, and I, I guess we started I'm trying to remember now. It's been, it's been a while. I guess we started in 2015. I started not long after I finished Girl Fight. I went right into filming Hank for two years uh, and just essentially chronicling his story from where he was at that point in his life to uh, about 20, sometime in 2017, which included his continuing battle with cancer, uh, a lot of health problems that you, know, you can see in the film, uh, some of which we didn't show in the film because he had all sorts of things going on, but a lot of it that was in the movie. Uh, and just him basically trying to keep his life together while also still being fulfilled while things are kind of falling apart around him in a lot of ways. And, you know, really it's how none of that ultimately affects him because at the end of the day, when he gets into a studio and he starts making artwork again, just it's like a zen state of mind. Nothing bothers him. It's this just bubble. I don't want to say bubble in a way that's kind of like excluding the world around him or that he's living in this kind of narrow focused world, but it's essentially this bubble that makes him happy and made him fulfilled in, in a spiritual way that nothing else did for him. And that, that's kind of the story is, I guess the, the universal story within that for the people that pull for themselves is what is that truth within you? What, what is it that drives you? What do you want to do with your life to make yourself feel fulfilled and make it feel like a life that was worth living? Excellent. And did you mention he was your great uncle? Yeah, I, I, for, I think for the sake of just ease, I usually just call him my uncle because that's what I just always called him also. But technically speaking, he'd be my great uncle. So one of your grandparents' uh, uh, brothers. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, so there's a big age difference. And you as a young, a youngin, so to speak, I have a, there's a, some of the, the elders in my community, though, when we were little, they called us youngins. You as a youngin, looking up at him, did he inspire you? Does he still inspire you? as you pursue your own passion and, and your own dream? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's actually why I went to uh, Pratt, in fact, uh, because he actually taught there, and I found out he went there briefly. And, um, yeah, I definitely, I, I would definitely say so. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time up there in his studio with him, hanging out with him, uh, painting with him back when I was a little kid. Um, you know, because he lived with my grandparents. He, they lived on the first floor. He lived on the second floor. So I'd basically go visit him and paint and draw and uh, hang out with him. And uh, I, I always would bring a lot of friends to his studio also. I remember like that being a big thing, uh, visiting him in Union, in Union Square. And especially because I went to art school, I had a bunch of friends who were artists, and they all enjoyed that visit. It was all it was always a very life-changing kind of experience for them. They always remembered it really well and fondly. Um, and he just loved talking about art, too. Like, you know, I could bring him a stranger, and as long as he could talk art, he'd be happy. So, uh, yeah, always very much inspiration, I guess. I didn't realize how much he was, really, until, I guess, the documentary was done, and I realized how many more similarities there are because... I kept hearing that from family members and other people that knew me and they saw the movie and they're like, wow, there's you two are very much the same. And I'm I guess I'm glad to hear that. It's a weird thing to say. Uh, it's a weird thing to still be dealing with as well since you know he passed away in uh, 2019. But, uh, you know, he definitely lives on within me, I feel, in a certain way. Oh, I, I understand that totally. I, I, I have uh, a grandfather in particular. He's been he's been, you know, dead for decades and he still is a reference in my mind and in my you know heart when I'm looking at what's right and what's good and things of that nature. So, yeah, I, I, we're lucky to have people like that to reference, to be honest, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. It's just, you know, it's still weird because, you know, I've got this now documentary about him. It's on the, all sorts of different places. And 
you know, it's still tough to look at sometimes, though, because the, the passing still feels fresh to me, even though it's been two years almost. Yeah, that's not long. May I ask, how old are you, Matthew? Uh, I'm 36. 36. I, I didn't think about that. I feel old now just thinking about that. Yeah, no, you're young. I'm 50. It's relative, right? I'm 54, so you're, you know, 36. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so the these films, if anybody wanted to check them out, before I forget, how how would they be able to? A bunch of them are in a few different places. Uh, I think the best thing to do to get the links uh, would be visiting my social media pages, which is uh, various things. I think it's facebook.com slash Burning Hammer Productions. Uh, and then Twitter and Instagram, it's Burning Hammer NY. So I usually post a lot of links for those films there. Uh, I haven't done it in a while, so this would be a good impetus for me to get back into that. Um, you know, I've got, I've got, let's see, I think a few things that are on Amazon right now. In fact, that's probably the easiest way to see things is a bunch of things are on Amazon. And that includes... Uh, the Chris Wyman film, the Girl Fight documentary. Uh, I also did another one called Concrete and Crash Pads, which is about stunt performers in New York. Uh, I did that one with uh, Steve Kepfer, who's a stuntman here in New York as well, and uh, a Sambo instructor, which is a Russian martial arts style. Uh, that's on Amazon as well. And then that's also where Nothing Changes lives. Uh, but I believe Nothing Changes and Girl Fight are also on a few different other spots. I think they're on like Tubi, um, Oh, man, there's a whole big list. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but definitely check out the social media, and that'll have links where you can find everything. Excellent, excellent. And uh, let's get on to your your uh, nerd news endeavors. Tell us a little bit about about that, nerd news today. Yeah, so like I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, I had a YouTube channel I started first that was about mixed martial arts, and that was fun, and I kind of wanted to expand it into something different and something that was also into my other interests that weren't just hitting people inside a cage. So uh, those interests were, like I said, comics, movies, toys, TV shows, anime, whatever. And uh, so I basically started an offshoot channel to cover that kind of stuff. And uh, really the last few years, is, it's when it's grown the most. Uh, I brought my girlfriend into the mix as well and a few other people to help me make some videos about all sorts of different things. Uh, and that's kind of the big things. We do toy reviews. Uh, Pre-pandemic days, we were doing a lot of event coverage, a lot of convention coverage. Uh, and hopefully starting in the fall, I'm working on these things right now, uh, we're going to be doing some more long-form investigation videos. So they're basically going to be like little mini documentaries about different things within nerddom, um, because that's something I've wanted to do since really the start, but it just hasn't worked out time-wise because there's so many, so many other things going on. It's only so many hours in the day. So the hope is to spend a little more time doing, you know, not just toy reviews and comic discussion and videos, but to do things that are kind of more story-based and historical-based in a lot of ways, also, and and sometimes also just looking at things contextually through a modern lens and kind of investigating, you know, what does this comic mean today? What does this movie mean today to us? And what do we think about it? How do we interpret it today? So uh, that's kind of the new direction is looking at nerdy things, but uh, through a more contextual and analytical lens. Great. I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm sure there's a, there, there are a lot of opportunities uh, to reflect on the human experience, right? The eternal questions uh, in anything, you know, you, you Star Trek or as you call it, nerdum. Uh, they're, they're, these, are, these are just other avenues uh, for people to figure out how to, how to live life, right? And I'm curious how you even define nerddom. It can really be defined in any way. It's really just kind of something uh, that you are very much into. You know, in anime fans, they call themselves otakus. That's kind of just their, their banner phrase for who they are, how they classify themselves. But you can be a nerd about anything. It doesn't need to be something that's inherently geeky, if you will. It can be anything. You can be a nerd about tech. You can be a nerd about music. You can be a nerd about art. So, uh, you know, in the case of how I'm using it here, it's meant for more like pop culture, comic cartoons, toys, that kind of thing. But 
Uh, I, I think nerddom is just anything that you are obsessed about, very, very into. Not to an unhealthy degree. That gets a little iffy. Uh, <laughs> but it's just things that you are really, really into and that drive your curiosity and drive your interest. And uh, what what about – you mentioned anime, mentioned cartoons, comics. Uh, who are some of the uh, trailblazers, I, I guess you can call them, that you, uh, you really – enjoy and, and admire some of the in particular i'm interested in, in the, the the comics well we only have half an hour today right laura uh, <laughs> AEW, <I> mean, uh, <laughs> yeah let's see if I, if I want to go back in time i mean i really admired will eisner i don't know if you're familiar with will eisner at all but he's kind of considered the father of the modern graphic novel because he kind of did the first one um uh, if you've never read anything by Will Eisner, he is responsible for The Spirit, which was one of the first serialized comics. I mean, there was a lot of serialized comics, but uh, his is very well known. And especially because when you consider the era he was in, his stuff just looks light years beyond what was being released in that day. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about mainstream Marvel comics, that kind of thing, you know, you could talk about Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. But if you look at Will Eisner and his work and what he did, not just illustration wise, but with the panels and how he paced his comics, completely different world. Um, so Will Eisner definitely and if you're into graphic novels, let's say you're not the kind of person who likes to read the comics because you want to have something a little bit more substantial, uh, check out the Contract with God trilogy. That's something that will probably change a lot of people's lives. Very interesting. Uh, very different. Uh, beyond that, I mean, actually, a name that comes up a lot for me in interviews, and in fact, recently on my Trek Untold show, I brought up his name, uh, was Larry Hama. And he was the writer for G.I. Joe, a real American hero from Marvel Comics. He basically created that world. And... Um, him in particular, the way he writes his stories, the way he paginates his comic pages, that also kind of has affected how I've looked at things through a director's lens. You know, he, I, he has a saying of his where uh, he, he said that every panel should be different on a page, and um, this is kind of a, no, a known thing in comics. If you're looking at a comic book page and there's no words, you should still know what's happening on the page. You should still be able to figure out the emotion, what's being said, uh, how it feels, how the weight of the comic is, what's going on, how, the, how it's paced by the number of panels or how the panels are put together. Uh, so Larry Hama has actually been a really big one for me, and it's not necessarily because I really like G.I. Joe comics or Transformers, or he, he's done all sorts of things. He's done X-Men, Wolverine. Um, I just really like his philosophy and his views on how comics are made, so he's been a big one. Uh, I've also liked Stan Sakai. He does the Usagi Ojimbo comic, which is a comic about... Uh, it's, it's The name literally translates in Japanese to Rabbit Bodyguard, mm. and it's a anthropomorphic rabbit who's a samurai during the period of samurais, and he's a wandering ronin, and it's really cool because... The artwork is just like completely unpretentious, but it's such amazing artwork, really great detail, uh, great storytelling. It's been going on for, God, I don't even know how long it's been going on. It's been going on for, for forever, it feels like. Uh, it's still you know owned and done just by Stan Sakai himself. So if you like samurai epics, if you like learning about Japanese history especially, uh, that's totally the thing to get. Oh, excellent suggestions. You know, I'm a novice, if, if even that. I, the, the folks that I know are like, I, I went to a br through a brief period when I was uh, reading a little of uh, American Splendor, you know, and Crumb and Picard, Harvey Picard. Uh, do, yep. you li do you like those guys? I used to like Crumb uh, back in the day. I was a big fan of his work because I really liked that style. And that was kind of the style I, I did a lot of was the cross-hatching kind of thing. Uh, I liked Crumb. I've kind of moved away from him just because I don't like him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, hear uh, you you. Know, like, I, I actually remember watching the Crumb documentary. I think it was on uh, probably on TCM many, many years ago. They showed it once. And I was I knew he was kind of a creep. <laughs> I didn't realize how much of a creep till I saw the movie. Um, still interesting. He's an amazing artist, amazing draftsman. But uh, there's definitely folks who I like a lot more. Picard as well, though. He's a great storyteller, very smart guy. Uh, did a lot of great work. I, I liked him. 
Uh, I'm also a big fan of Alan Moore. Of course, I think everybody likes Alan Moore. Uh, yeah. I got into him through Swamp Thing, in fact, um, because I'd heard great things about it. I got the first trade that he jumped onto, and I was like, wow, this is, you know, again, Swamp Thing and also the artwork, which was by, uh, I think, Stephen Bissett. That was just mind-blowing stuff there. Excellent, excellent. So when we, uh, we, we look at some of the other projects and interests that you have, uh, Star Trek, Let's take a little time to talk about Star Trek. And you have a, a podcast that's relatively new um, that uh, you're, you're producing and hosting. Why Star Trek, and 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 what do you try to? How do you try to explore Star Trek? Yeah, we just hit our over one year anniversary. In fact, on Trek Untold, as we're doing this interview today, episode fifty four just came out. So it's been over a year now. I basically started during the pandemic. In fact, it was kind of I, I call it my pandemic project, but the idea kind of lived on like almost a year before. I actually started doing it. Just the pandemic gave me the opportunity to take the time to do it. So what I like to kind of do with it and how it kind of was inspired, in fact, was that year earlier at a convention was I was seeing all these different character actors and things like that. And I didn't know who they were. And I just kind of thought they were like, meh, whatever. They're just nobodies. Um, and I realized that wasn't really fair to say to them. So I kind of started investigating who these people were. And quite often they have these amazing resumes of work and they just don't get the 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 do that they deserve because they're not the main inventors you know that's kind of the way i put it there's the main event guys and there's a supporting crew to help get the card moving so it kind of started with that where i wanted to take a look at uh, character actors and get to know them and i decided that star trek was a great place to do it because some of these character actors from the 70s 80s 90s even some some from the 60s they all did star trek <laughs> it's kind of just like a rite of passage it's one of those shows that you do so uh that kind of began the idea for trek untold and what the podcast is is each week I speak to different people who have contributed to the Star Trek universe in some way. And that can be a character actor. It can be a stunt performer. It can be a writer, behind-the-scenes crew. Uh, I've spoken to comic book artists. I've spoken to writers. Uh, I've spoken to makeup people, music composers for the show. Uh, one of my favorites, in fact, was one of the original sculptors for the 1990s Playmates toy line, <laughs> which was one of my favorites ever because uh, I had all those toys, and I still have all those toys. Um so, you know, we're kind of looking at it from the lens of Star Trek, but the way I pitch it to everybody is that it's more like inside the actor's studio with a hint to Star Trek, because, yeah, we're talking about whatever they did within the Star Trek franchise, whether it's, you know, acting or stunts, whatever it was. But I like to look at their entire career as a whole and put that into perspective as a whole. So, you know, for example, uh, last week I did a big episode. I had Gates McFadden on, who was Dr. Beverly Crusher in Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. I, normally it's character actors, but I've had a few occasions where I've gotten some of the, the bigger name people in the show, and I'll never say no to them. No. <laughs> but, no. you know, again, we, we talk about not just Trek, because especially for those folks, I mean, they've talked about it so many times again and again. They've told the same stories. So I, it really is important for me to go beyond just Trek. So with Gates McFadden, I think in the time we spent, one third of it was Star Trek, and the rest was her theater career, her theater background, her uh, time before she even had an agent in New York. We talked about uh, something really obscure, in fact, how she was actually on an episode of SNL uh, in the audience and got kissed by Bill Murray, and that had a whole story that no one's ever heard before. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of like to dig deep. There's there's a lot of that, and it's not just stories about Hollywood. It's also the stories of how they do their work. So, uh, you know, I'll point to a great episode I just had, which was with uh, an actor named Ron Canada, and Ron has been in, like, over 200 things. We talked forever. Now, we talked for even an hour after the show was done recording. And he has some of the most amazing insight into acting and performing. And I, it's it's really important, too, for people who are interested in being storytellers to kind of know these things and to kind of understand that because uh, you're going to hear things about how their mind works, how they create characters, how they step into these bodies and say these lines that really will mean nothing to them, especially if you're on a show like Star Trek where chances are 
you're going to have to say something that you have no idea what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> you know, in Star Trek, they call it techno babble, and that's all of that like jargon, uh, which would be something like, you know, you've got to reverse the polarity on the Bussard collector to collect the tachyon pulse, something like that, <laughs> um, which means nothing. But you have to perform that and make it sound convincing and make it sound like you know what you're saying. So It sounds uh, very know, impressive. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and, and that's kind of why also you know, you'd be surprised to know that a lot of the folks who do Star Trek – uh, not all, but many come from Shakespearean backgrounds. I mean, I think everybody knows Patrick Stewart and his Shakespearean definitely, background. Definitely, definitely. Captain Picard. Of course. But, you know, you talk to folks who are nowadays, in fact, uh, I've, I've spoken to a few people who are on Star Trek Discovery, and many of them have Shakespearean backgrounds, and it really helps inform their decisions in the show, what they do, how they say things. Even if they have small little bit parts that you would think would have nothing to them, it's it's so important that these characters, who are not the main the main people you're going to see for you know the entire 40 minutes of the show, it's so important that these people are convincing what they do. And Mm -hmm. I find it very interesting. And I really like hearing their insight and sharing that information with my viewers and my audience, especially because I'm sure that there's a lot of people who want to perform or who want to do stunts, who want to do makeup, who want to do VFX, behind the scenes, post-production things, you know? So I really like getting into the nitty gritty of what they do and how they do it. Well, you know, it goes back to something you've been talking about throughout our conversation. You know, you, you really should be doing things if you want, I guess, to feel happy uh, fulfilled, that you, that is a passion that is true to, to who you are. And these folks certainly are, uh, are that type of person, I'm sure. You you know, there's no small parts really uh, when you're an artist, every, especially when you're involved in theater, it's been my experience. If you're on the stage for a minute, that minute is so important to the entirety of the production. And, and what you do means just as much as any other uh, aspect of what's going on up there. So it's about passion. It's about the art. Um, it's bigger than what you know we usually deem success or what have you. You know, and that, uh, in my view, uh, that's why I love artists. Uh, they they are philosophers, and they are more often. I mean, egos do exist for sure that are maybe outsized on occasion. But there's an earnestness and there's an integrity. I think you often find too with artists, and I'm sure you're noticing that as well with your interviews and discussions and work day to day and I'm that leads me to the last question I have for you all of this that you that you do 36 year old young man and you have a lot of work a lot of projects great stuff ahead of you what what are you trying to maybe accomplish or to experience through all of this do you think if I knew that answer I wouldn't be here right now I'd be off doing stuff <laughs> I guess I'm still trying to figure that out myself uh I definitely want to have just a really great body of work. I like telling stories. I like making sure people's stories are heard because there's a lot of folks who I've highlighted in all the work I've done whose stories aren't told. I think that's kind of a shame. Um, you know, you look at Wikipedia, you know, and that, and people think that's an entire person's life right there, but there's so much more to them. And case in point, if you look at any of these character actors who I've interviewed on my Trek Untold podcast, you know, they, if they have a Wikipedia page, it's not very big. It's usually not very impressive, but when you get to know them and hear what made their life the way it was, what inspired them to act, what stories they have about their different performances and what they've learned throughout the years. I think that's kind of an important story to tell. And uh, I think that's, that's probably best highlighted in nothing changes. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a bigger project now beyond that too. In fact, with, with still within that world of Hank Ragona uh, and exploring more of what we didn't get to say in the documentary, but um, there, there's a lot more to life than what's out there. And I'd like to pursue it and help people learn more about it as much as I can. Cause there's just so much to this big, big world. There is well said. It was a pleasure talking with you, Matt Matthew Kaplowitz, filmmaker, so editor in chief of Nerd News Today, podcaster, among other things. And hopefully, we get a chance to talk with you again in the future. 
yeah, hopefully I'd love to do it again sometime. And uh, if you don't mind, EW, I'd like to just make, make a little bit of a, I guess, a first time announcement ever on your show, if you don't mind. Please do. Yeah. So I mentioned for folks who want to check out Nothing Changes, it's on Amazon right now. Um, but as we're getting out of the pandemic, uh, I am hoping to start showing the film again. And, you know, as I mentioned, Hank passed away, you know, quite some time before the pandemic began. But unfortunately, his passing kind of ran into some plans we had. Uh, and that's for showing his film again in theaters, hopefully in different venues. And uh, what I hope to show is actually not what's currently on Amazon. I have a director's cut, essentially, uh, because you know I heard some different comments from people who saw the movie, and for the most part, I've gotten amazing feedback. I can't believe how far you know this movie has been seen. I've gotten feedback from people all across the world, and you know just amazing reviews and ratings on Amazon, especially. But um, you know I heard some criticism as well, and I kind of addressed some of those criticisms in the, the new version. And essentially, what this new version is is I removed 20 minutes of stuff that's in the current film that's on Amazon. And I've replaced it now with 30 minutes of completely new footage, some of which was shot back in that era. But, um, you know, it's going to be real tough for me to eventually see this on, on a big screen. But I have one of the last interviews I ever filmed with Hank, which was two weeks before he passed away. And that's part of the that's part of the new version of the film as well. So it's basically uh, a much more long extension of the story we told and nothing changes. But it's really all the way to the finish point, I guess. You know, it's one of the tough things with the documentary is knowing when to finish it. And I think how I wrapped it up. And the version that's out right now, it was a good ending, but I've kind of got the full story now. So, um, you know, hopefully folks will follow me on social media, Burning Hammer Productions, and uh, hopefully by the fall, we'll start having some dates and know where we're going to show this alternate version of the film. Excellent. I look forward to it. Cheers to you and to your uh, late, great Uncle Hank. Take care. Thank you so much.
now, as has become our periodic tradition on the program, we share some actual findings as gathered and published by Harper's Magazine in their May 2021 edition. Again, these are actual findings. Ecologists were concerned about the colonization of the Magdalena River by Pablo Escobar's hippos. 5,000 fecal samples collected over eight years in 18 countries suggested a higher than expected degree of genetic connection among chimpanzees. And data from the North American Amphibian Monitoring Program indicated that the lungs of green tree frogs provide auditory spectral contrast enhancement. Common pipistrelli bats, but not soprano pipistrelli bats, appear to be more active around wind turbines. A degraded montane rainforest in Madagascar was found to be home to the world's smallest reptile, a nano-chameleon, whereas micropigs proved only marginally competent at video games. Extreme temperature changes will cause the hearts of rabbits, but not those of alligators, to fibrillate. Saltwater crocodile sperm become increasingly motile in the post-testicular stage as they transit the epididymis. Veterinary pathologists examining a camelpox outbreak among male dromedaries in India noted pendulous lips and scrotal pox. Machine learning identified the palm civet and greater horseshoe bats as the species likeliest to transmit novel coronaviruses to humans. Of 180 British pheasants surveyed, 179 had been shot with lead. Captive bred pheasants with allocentric maze navigating styles are more likely to seek open habitats when released into the wild than those with egocentric maze navigating styles. And three species of shark collected from the Chatham Rise were found to glow. Cuttlefish are capable of delaying gratification. Rivers of gold in the illicit mining pits in Madre de Dios were observed from space. And exploding craters were proliferating in the Siberian permafrost. The trunks of ancient kauri trees indicated that the Lachamp excursion caused major extinctions. Humans and woolly mammoths coexisted in Vermont. The Paziric carpet was made with fermented wool. Shuar households that are more integrated into Ecuador's market economy have lower levels of pathogen infection and are more easily disgusted. Among 39 countries, Morocco was identified as having the highest risk of SARS-CoV-2 via the fecal contamination of rivers. And dried corn syrup can be used to create edible holograms. How about that?
Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You said one love, one life. When it's one need in the night, one love we get to share it. It leaves you, baby, if you don't care for it. Did I disappoint you or leave a bad taste in your mouth? You act like you never had love, and you want me to go without. Well, it's too late tonight to drag the past out into the light. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. One. Have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come to raise the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head? Did I ask too much, more than a lot? You gave me nothing now. It's all I got. We're one, but we're not the same. Well, we hurt each other, and we're doing it again. You say love is a temple, love a higher law. Love is a temple, love the higher law. You ask me to enter, but then you make me crawl, and I can't be holding on to what you've got when all you've got is hurt. One love, one blood. One life, you've got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters, brothers. One life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. One. Lilypad speaks to her dad with tones of tumultuous tenderness. Outside of red, rosy cheeks, she is bold. As 
thingamabops do cartwheels inside a pixel-driven rectangular box that she loves to hold, and a song, sweet child of mine, echoes in the sublime afternoon warm shine as we all once again sunbathe. Episode 421 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Matthew Kaplowitz, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists, Blossom Deary. The five, six, seven eighths, Thelonious Monk, 
Junior Brown, Johnny Cash, Stevie Wonder, and of course, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Brentford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.